Your value add as an investor purchasing a short sale shouldn't be price because price is irrelevant to the short sale seller because they're not profiting anything. So really your value add as the investor is that, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, I could get this short sale done for you. I could get you out from under this bad mortgage that you're in. That's your value add versus, hey, I have the best price because they don't care about the price. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Bob Vieira. Bob built a real estate business based around working with distressed sellers and doing short sales. That has enabled him to do deals nationally, build passive cash flow, and a really great stream of off-market real estate deals. Today, we're going to dig into what is a short sale? Why would someone want to sell you their property for less than they owe on the mortgage? How does Bob find his deals? What does he do with them once he gets them in order to create income for himself and his business? And so much more. If you're not familiar with what a short sale is, don't worry, we're going to define that for you. And if you know what a short sale is, like I did, you might be a little bit surprised to hear that short sales are actually happening today. And we're going to cover why people are doing short sales today, what got them into that position, and so much more. It's a really great education on the state of the real estate market today. You're going to learn a ton. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, or had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com or click the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, let's get with Bob. Bob, thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to dig into the short sale business model today. But for our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about what you do and how you got started in real estate? And then we'll talk about the business model. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Taylor. Pleasure to be here. So yeah, short sales. So, okay. I started in 2015. I jumped into real estate right out of college. Well, I was in the corporate world for maybe six to eight months. I realized I was a horrendous employee. So I decided, you know, I decided to fire myself, got a real estate license. So I originally didn't jump in on the investment side. I was just a realtor full time. Just like any brand new agent, you know, running around like a chicken with my head cut off to try to find deals, make money, put food on the table. Lo and behold, I ended up stumbling upon short sales. At the time, I had no clue what a short sale was, let alone how to do one. But through trial, error, and a hell of a lot of pain, I ended up getting really good at it. So as time went on, I was the local expert, you could say, in my Pennsylvania market for doing short sale deals. Fast forward to 2019, I realized that I could take this niche in real estate that I'm already doing on a local level. I could take it nationwide, which is where I founded Universal Short Sales, my company now, and we facilitate short sales throughout the entire nation, all 50 states. Great. Wow. So quite the journey. So for our listeners that don't know what a short sale is, can we define that term before we really dig into you know, what you're doing? A short sale in real estate in its simplest form 
is when two things are happening. Number one, the seller's falling behind on their mortgage payments, whether it's one month behind or it can be, you know, 15 months behind. The second thing that's happening is they're underwater on their mortgage. So they want to sell their property, but they owe more on their mortgage than the property is worth. So let's say they owe $300,000 on their mortgage balance, but the property in its as-is condition is worth, let's say, two fifty. So they have negative equity. What their lender will do is they'll let them do a short sale, which is to sell short of what is owed. So again, going back to that example, just to paint a picture, let's say the bank approves the seller's short sale. The bank is going to let them sell for the 250K that the property is worth. And they're going to forgive the $50,000 deficiency. They're going to totally forgive it. And the seller can avoid foreclosure. And they do not have to pay that 50 grand back at closing. Wow. So I feel like we heard a lot about short sales happening right in the wake of the Great Recession. And then after that all kind of washed out of the system, we really don't hear about short sales anymore after maybe the mid-20-teens. But you've built a whole business around short sales. So can you kind of get us past that misconception, at least the misconception that I had that I assume short sales aren't even happening anymore, but it sounds like they are. So let's talk about that, how they are actually still happening. I get that question all the time. And it's a fair question because, you know, like we were talking before the podcast, 08, 09, you know, into 2012, even you hear these stories about short sales falling from the sky, you know, every other deal is a short sale. It's madness. Well, It's not like that anymore on a national scale. So really your assumption isn't 100% wrong. The thing that a lot of people don't realize is short sales never really went away because they're pocketed. So remember, every market throughout the United States isn't in the same cycle. Every market's different. So because every market's in a different cycle, there's certain markets where there's still a lot of short sales that pop up And then there's some markets where there's virtually no short sales. So because the business I created, the model is so scalable, we get to pick and choose which markets we operate in. And again, there's some markets where we've never done a short sale before. And there's some where there's a lot of short sales. So it's very, very pocketed. So what characterizes a market that is more likely to have a preponderance of short sales. My mind immediately goes to, say, C and D class type of tertiary market, if you will. Is that right? Is that wrong? What do you see there? What makes a market more likely to have short sales? Yeah, a lot. I mean, listen, we're all over the board. We're in C class, D class, and then we even get a lot of A class. We just had a lead come in today, ironically, this morning of a property in Florida, probably worth 1.2, 1.3 and they owe around 1.8, 1.9. So really it comes down to distress. How typically in markets where there's a lot of people suffering financially, a lot of distress, you're gonna see more short sales. Because remember at the end of the day, a market could be very, very hot. Let's say it's a seller's market, bidding wars everywhere, But people in this country will find ways to lose equity in their house. 
This is a consumer-driven society. It's a credit-driven society. People will take equity, even if they have a lot of equity in their house, and they'll pull it out to purchase, you know, the new boat they always wanted, renovate the kitchen, et cetera. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. Okay. So in my mind immediately goes to falling house values. That was what happened in the Great Recession is people were highly leveraged, but then their real estate market started to generally decline in value. That's how folks wound up underwater. But it sounds like in most cases, are you seeing folks take out, I don't know, HELOCs that are or second mortgages or what have you that are just over leveraging and they're winding up on that side, but it's not so much falling property values. What's the driver there? That's a great question. So the two main things that we're seeing that are causing short sales right now. And by the way, before I get into them, you're absolutely right. It's not falling home prices because clearly that's not happening in most of the country. You know, a lot of residential areas are still going bananas. So number one, we see kind of what I touched on before. These past three years, people have been experiencing record amounts of home equity. So, you know, they get that letter from their bank to refinance, you know, honey, oh my God, did you see what our property just appraised that? We have 150K in equity, you know, record amounts of equity. So again, they are tapping into that equity. The past three years, refinances were at an all-time high. Right now, they're about to be an all-time low, but yep, yep, yep. The past three years, interest rates were low, values were skyrocketing, perfect environment for refis. So yes, tons of people pulled out that equity and they didn't do it as us real estate investors do, pull out the equity to go buy another property with it. They were pulling it out to buy toys. So that's the big, big reason we're seeing right now. Number two is you have to realize a lot of states are what's called judicial states, judicial foreclosure states. That means a bank cannot just come just because the seller is falling behind on their payment. A bank just can't come and take their property. They have to take it through the court system. When they do that, it prolongs the process greatly. So a lot of these people, they're not just a couple months behind on their payments. They're deep, deep, deep into pre-foreclosure. And the deeper somebody gets into pre-foreclosure, Taylor, the more interest, fees, and penalties compounds against their principal mortgage balance. So a lot of times what we're seeing is somebody has, let's say, 100K equity in their house, but they get super deep into pre-foreclosure, which eats up that equity very quickly. Very, very quickly. We're seeing a lot of that as well. Wow. Okay. So we've identified, it sounds like, the problem that needs to be addressed in these cases when you, you find someone that needs to sell. You mentioned, I'm just trying to walk us through the process here. You mentioned that a bank needs to approve the short sale. We touched a bit on the reason why they might want to do that because the foreclosure process in a judicial state can take a long time. But still, can you walk us through that process of getting a short sale approved through a bank? Yeah. So nothing short about a short sale. A lot of people assume that it's a short process. It is the complete opposite. So we actually have it broken down to a science which is a 12-step system. It sounds like, you know, AA, but it's not. It's a 12-step system for short sales. And sometimes it's 15 if it's a government loan, but we'll keep it simple. 12-step system, you have to hit every single step in order to complete the short sale. And on average, you're looking at four to six months 
but the more complex the file is, if they have, you know, secondary mortgages, HELOCs, et cetera, it could go beyond that six month time frame. So it takes very long. Wow. Okay. So now let's walk to the disposition side of things. Yeah. Who's buying the property? Of course, how are you getting paid? Because you've built a business around that. So walk us through the transaction and who's buying? What's the upside? Yeah. So we're a hybrid model. So we have two separate main exit strategies. Exit strategy number one is when we're not the buyer and we simply get a fee on the settlement sheet, which is approved by the short sale lender, we get a $10,000 fee or 3% of the purchase price, whichever is greater. And that's going to come from the end buyer, whoever ends up purchasing it. Exit strategy number two is we'll work the entire short sale. And then we have a uh, purchasing arm of our company where we'll purchase the property and typically look to dispo it after. We'll do a little bit of work, typically a wholesale type of deal, and then we'll resell it on the market. So how do you decide which direction you want to go? Or is it even your decision? Is it up to the bank or the, the seller? That's a fantastic question. So we have a checklist that we use, but really what it comes down to is the property's condition. So the most important part of a short sale is the third-party appraisal. The third-party appraisal is what the lender orders and pays for about midway through the short sale process. Whatever that valuation comes back at, that's what you're able to buy the property for. It's that cut and dry. So whenever we get a short sale lead that comes in, if it's a really pretty retail-ready property, that already tells me and my team, hey, we're not going to be able to get this at a discount because we can't really prove to the appraiser why we need it at a discount because it's a pretty property. It's in great shape. So a deal like that, we'll just take a back seat. You know, it'll be a fee-based deal and then we'll just move on. Now, vice versa, if it's a really crappy looking property, needs a full gut rehab, you know, it shows horrifically, that's something we'll make an offer on because we could potentially get a good deal. Okay. So for those deals that you're planning on buying and rehabbing and then reselling, now you're a national business. You're doing this all over the place. How do you take into account the logistics of actually rehabbing a property that is somewhere that you are not? Do you look to have a, a critical mass in a particular market before you kind of start buying properties and wholetailing them there? What's your process for going through an actually remote flipping a property? Yep. We have two factors that we look at. Number one, who is the listing agent? So with a short sale, even though it's an off-market deal, one of the short sale lenders requirements, there has to be a listing agent on file. Even if we're going to come in and purchase it, we have to have a listing agent on file and it has to be entered into the MLS. So right there, that's our boots on the ground. We have a good listing agent that we vet. The second factor is there's certain markets where I have a really strong network. So sometimes I'm comfortable with, you know, a contractor I've used before, or maybe it's a market where I have a really good JV partner on the ground. That could be my boots on the ground. That has a lot, you know, that goes into it as well. So are there ever any opportunities or any deals where, okay, you could get it at a discount, but it's say not in a market where you have boots on the ground that you might be confident in or a partner in the market that you might be confident in. What avenue do you take there? Do you try to 
get the property to another investor? What's the process for the outliers? Yeah. So, I mean, in a market like that, my ideal situation would be to just double close the property, get it approved at 50, double close it for 70, 80, whatever. But short sales are very tricky because you can't do that all the time. 50 to 60% of short sales have what's called a deed restriction. So that's when the lender says, congratulations, your short sale is approved, but you can't resell the property until 60, 90, sometimes even 120 days for a profit. So that throws another wrench into it. So depending on the spread, Taylor, if it's a big spread and holding the property makes sense, then we'll like, actually, I'm doing two deals like that right now where we purchased them and we're just simply waiting out the deed restriction with our holding costs because it makes sense. And then we're not going to, you know, we're going to barely do any work to it and then we'll just resell it. So you don't really need a team on the ground if you're not doing much work to the property. Okay. In those situations. So this to me seems like a model that could work well with the Burr strategy, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, get your capital back out, move on to the next one. But it sounds like you're not doing that, or are you? What's your thought on the Burr model with this short sale strategy? For me personally, because we do them all around the country, I'm very picky about what I will rehab, hold, and rent out. I think we were talking before the podcast. I'm actually focused on holding a lot of these properties now, but specifically in Northeastern Pennsylvania, which is where I'm from, where I'm at right now, where I'm talking to you from. So for a local investor that's watching this, or if they're investing in a certain, you know, market virtually and they get something, then yeah, a lot of these deals will be excellent birds for sure, because you're getting them at a discount if it's done right. So for the investor out there who might want to buy these deals, what would you recommend someone think about having in their toolbox so that they can be competitive when making an offer on a short sale property. Yeah. So the beautiful thing about short sales, you don't necessarily have to be competitive because you're not competing with anybody else. There's no competition because when you find the seller and you essentially, okay, confirm that they want to do a short sale and they sign the contract with you, really there's no other bids that could come in. So I don't know if I'm saying that clear enough. I guess what I'm saying is, here's a better way to say it. Your value add as an investor purchasing a short sale shouldn't be price because price is irrelevant to the short sale seller because they're not profiting anything. So really your value add as the investor is that, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, I could get this short sale done for you. I could get you out from under this bad mortgage that you're in. That's your value add versus, hey, I have the best price because they don't care about the price. So you have your 12-step process to get a short sale approved or 15 steps, depending on the nature of the loan. I guess to hone my question down a little bit more, is there a difference if you are financing your acquisition of the short sale with a mortgage versus you're bringing cash to the table or some form of private money to make your offer more appealing to either the seller or the bank because cash has a lot more certainty to, to close than if, say, you're going out and getting a 30-year mortgage or something like that? Yeah, that's a great question. The answer is no. The bank doesn't care. All the bank cares about is, again, what is the property appraised at? So let's say I come in with an offer, Taylor, at 60K cash. 
the bank is going to send an appraiser out, a neutral third-party BPO agent. They're going to do the appraisal. And if it comes back at 60, great. They don't give a shit how I pay for it. <laughs> just, just, just send that wire. That's all they care about. Wow. Okay. So for somebody who is thinking about maybe mimicking you and building a model around this, creating your own future yeah. competition, what is something that you've learned along the way in making yourself more appealing to potential sellers or more, more compelling or more capable of closing these deals? A big quantum leap that you've had in your business, if you will. Yeah. Educate, do not sell. Educate, do not sell. What I mean by that is you never want to force or give a sales pitch to a seller to have them do a short sale. Because what's going to happen is if they're not truly motivated to do it and they're only doing it because your sales pitch was really good, eventually the deal is going to fall apart because you need their cooperation. They have to submit their financials. It's a very tedious, long process for the seller. So they really, like it really has to be the right fit for them. And the only way you're going to know that is if you properly educate them. And if you do properly educate them on a short sale, they're going to trust you. You're going to build amazing rapport with them. And that's how you're going to get deals versus all the other competitors trying to get the deal. Gotcha. Okay. Really interesting business model. I was surprised, honestly, to hear that short sales are still happening, but noting that folks were getting over leveraged when rates were much lower. And then that snowball that they create when they fall behind on their payments, quickly eating up their equity. It makes a lot of sense how folks can get into that position. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Bob, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great. First one, what is your number one book recommendation? That's such a difficult one. You know what I'm going to go with, though? I'm going to go with the one we were discussing before the podcast, the one right over your left shoulder. Am I being too subtle by Sam Zell? It's the only autobiography, and I love biographies. I love reading autobiographies. It's the only one that I ever read twice. It was so good. Just the way his mind works and the way he just immediately thinks big in everything he does, it's just amazing. I mean, there's just so many great nuggets you could learn from that. So that's, that's what I'll recommend. Great book. And noting that he also predicted the failure and bankruptcy of WeWork four years before it happened. And after he passed away, since it recently, they went bankrupt. So yeah, he knew a lot about real estate for sure. Crazy. And he's always ahead of the trend too. Like you read, as you're reading that autobiography, especially now, like it just ages so well. Everything he predicts, you know, about the markets and, you know, the demand, it's just incredible. It really is. Great recommendation. Question number two, who or what inspires you? I would have to say regret. I never want to be towards the tail end of my career and have any regrets. Like I should have thought bigger. I should have scaled into this business. I really, really want to, you know, I know life is short and I take that to heart when it comes to business. hundred percent right about that. Speaking of getting older, question number three, think about Bob at 80 years old. What would 80 year old Bob have to say to Bob of today? Think bigger and stop overthinking. Don't fight the flow. If you're really thinking about doing something and the universe is pulling you in that direction, whether it's personal, business strategy, whatever, just do it. Don't fight it. I love it. 
Bob, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing this knowledge. If folks want to get in touch or track you down, where can they find you? My website is mycompany.com. So it's universalshortsales.com. And for anybody out there, when you come across these short sale leads, if you're looking to wholesale or flip, whatever the case is, it's actually a dead lead. So, you know, instead of passing up on your marketing dollars, you could send them to us and we actually JV these dead leads and you could profit from them. It's amazing. We uh, JV with thousands of wholesalers and investors around the country. So love to work with anybody out there, universalshortsales.com or just PM me on Facebook. Find me on Facebook, Bobby Vieira, shoot me a direct message and we'll chat. Love it. Thanks once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one.